Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Do you know that we're close to Halloween? (laughs) Well, there are lots of interesting things about Halloween. Halloween was once a pagan holiday, but the church, as it does in the process of transforming culture, laid claim to Halloween. I'm going to tell you more about that, but first of all, can you tell me, can you make a guess at how much money the United States spends on Halloween candy. If you were going to guess how many millions of dollars we spend, you would be wrong. Because it's in the billions, that's right. 3.1 billion dollars that we spend on Halloween candy. 3.6 billion dollars on Halloween Costumes. $3.4 billion on Halloween decorations. Is anybody doing the math? <laughs> I wonder if that money could be better used elsewhere. Maybe so. By the way, if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us. It is good to have you with us. This is the one I don't get. 0.6 billion, so $600 million spent on Halloween greeting cards. Yeah, see? Has anybody ever received a Halloween greeting card? One person? I guess that's why it's 0.6 compared. I mean, I don't, I don't know about this. So, yeah, maybe so. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but we, we spend as a nation a lot of money on this holiday. It has something to do with the great potato famine in Ireland, like back in the early 1800s, and there was a massive migration here, and the Irish really liked celebrating Halloween because even though the church in the 8th century, Pope Benedict tried to sort of claim this festival time uh, for Christianity. Uh, There is still this, uh, you know, Irish Celtic root to the holiday of Halloween. They, and I'm going to have to look at my notes, Soween. I can't remember how to pronounce it, but they had a festival festival called Soween. And this was the end of their calendar year. November 1st was their new year, 
And so at this moment, harvest was over, things were dying. They felt like it was this intersection between life and death. And so they would have these festivals of fire and they would try to do some rituals around fire with masks. Uh, back in the day, 2,000 years ago, they would wear like animal skins and skulls, and that was their form of masks. And they would dance around the fire. Uh, we might have some fires out here for the trunk or treat event. If somebody wants to dance around one of those fires, we will probably film you. Uh, so we would love to encourage you to do that. But uh, they would try to make this fire special, and then they would take an ember from that fire and take it home. And they would start their fires in their respective homes. And theoretically, this would ward off all ghosts and goblins uh, for uh, some indefinite period of time. Pope Benedict comes along and decides that there's a better way uh, to celebrate this time of year. And so he introduced All Saints Day. And the idea was, hey, if we're going to be celebrating the dead, let's celebrate Christians, great Christians who have gone on before us, celebrate the heritage of the church, this great foundation that we have uh, under us. And so All Saints Day began. Has anybody ever celebrated All Saints Day? No. Isn't that interesting? This, by the way, was a church holiday before Protestantism, so it's okay to celebrate for Protestants. Isn't that interesting? You guys wondering where I'm going with all this? This sermon is actually about the devil today. I thought that might be fitting because it's Halloween. And uh, the scriptures actually have a lot to say about Satan, our enemy. We're going to start with the story of the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. You're going to see verse 6 up here on the screen. And the, the backstory is the great flood has happened. God has rescued humanity through Noah. Uh, humanity begins to grow and spread. And at some point, they decide to come together and build a city. Uh, they are going in the path of civilization. We know when cities happen, you know, culture happens, civilization happens, uh, people start to specialize in skills, and so there's technology, there's all sorts of advancement, and if you go through human history, you can see this develop. But in this moment, we see something very unique happen. This is God's response to this first attempt at city. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And so God commences to divide us into different nations, different ethnic groups, different cultures at this point. This is actually a moment where God does something that we don't really sort of understand from the rest of Scripture, but He actually wants humanity to regress. He wants to slow down our process. And so he does this language and nation thing because that is according to his purpose, right? God sees things not going according to his purpose, and so he interjects himself into history, and now things are going according to his purpose because he has a plan for a nation and a Messiah 
and salvation and so forth. You might be disappointed that God stepped into human history and caused disunity in order to advance his purpose. And that's actually sort of a separate sermon. But the thing that I want to advance to you is the reason why God does this, or in his reasoning, this statement he makes about humanity. He says, after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Just think about that for a second. God is observing humanity in our actions. He sees something going in a different way than he wants it to go, so he redirects it. But he makes this statement. After this, nothing, nothing that they set out to do will be impossible for them. You're thinking, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be a sermon about Satan and evil and bad things. Why are you telling me that we as human beings have limitless potential? Because that's a really positive thing. I mean, I've never felt better about myself. I suddenly realized that God has put within me unlimited power and potential. Is that pretty wild? After this, there's nothing that they will not be able to accomplish. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. The NIV, the NIV says, imagine infinitely more than all that we might ask or imagine. If you're like me, and you don't want to be like me, for the most part, but maybe in this particular area, if you're like me, you've got a pretty good imagination. Does everybody have an imagination here, by the way? Remember when you were a kid and you used your imagination a lot? Somebody would bring something up and it would just send you off into like a whole new world and you would just start creating all kinds of things and it would be like kind of real to you. But, I mean, you could just keep adding idea on top of idea on top of idea and you could just keep going and some things made sense, most of them didn't. And you could just sort of blow your own mind with your imagination. God's promise is that he is going to do infinitely more than we can ask or think about, than we can ask or imagine. He is going to do that through you and I. You see a connection between Genesis eleven six, 6, where he says, okay, we need to slow this down. This is going faster 
that I wanted to go, not going in the direction I needed to go. Remember, we created, and I'm talking for God as though he's speaking to other members of the Trinity now, but we created man in our image to be like us, and if they get, if they get going and if they're united, there is nothing that is impossible for them. And then Paul reminds us that God at work within us, his purpose for his work within us is to do beyond anything we could ask or imagine. You're thinking, this is the strangest sermon on Satan I have ever heard. Because right now, all I'm hearing is that we are filled with limitless possibility and opportunity and capability and potency because God, the mighty power of God is at work within us. Wow. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is dealing with a church situation where there are people within the church at Corinth and within the early church generally who have been having incredible experiences with God and they have been bragging about those experiences and making those experiences with God experiences about themselves. They've been bragging about this in order to uh, promote their own authority, their own biblical or spiritual authority. And Paul is confronting them. He is reminding them (laughs) that God has appointed certain people to be apostles. (laughs) And so he says this. He says, this boasting will not or will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. So hmm. Paul's being forced to reveal something of his own spiritual experiences to remind people that his authority is very real. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Okay, so the reason I'm introducing these passages is because I want to remind us that there is a massive story at play here. A massive story that we are playing a part in. Paul is telling us, look, when it comes to spiritual experiences, I'm pretty sure I've, I've had one that will trump kind of anything. I was taken into the realm of heaven. I saw things that I'm not even going to attempt to say or describe. It's not even like, it's not even possible for me to begin to tell you, to describe to you what I saw, what I heard. Extraordinary. So there is a, there is a massive, massive story going on. And we have a role to play in it. I'm just wanting you to soak in this for a minute, to remember that 
life is about so much more than getting good grades in school or having some great relationships or getting a good college education or finding a good, comfortable job that has benefits or having a healthy marriage or being a good parent or having a cushy retirement plan or some good vacation plans. Life is about so much more than those things. There is a much larger story at play. Daniel, chapter 10. Starting in verse 10, we'll read from, but uh, Daniel has had a vision and he has been praying for God to help him understand that vision. And we know that Daniel is involved in the spiritual realm already. Verse 10, just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. He has experienced this angelic being and he's fallen flat on his face in the presence of this angelic being. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Now this is where it gets pretty wild. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. We have Daniel praying. We have God in heaven hearing that prayer and sending an answer. But apparently there is a fight that has to be waged in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realm. Verse 15. While he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. This is what it is like to stand in the presence of a powerful angel. Difficult. Then the one who looked like a man, Daniel doesn't even try to describe him. He's like, something like a man. The one who looked like a man touched me again and I felt... My strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. Does anybody need to hear that they are precious to God? 
very precious to God. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. He replied, do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, and after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. Michael is the archangel personally watching over the nation of Israel. As a non-Israelite, I'm a little jealous of that. From what I understand, Michael is one bad angel. I've been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. So this massive, extraordinary spiritual battle is being described to Daniel. It appears that Daniel is having some sort of impact. His prayers are having some sort of impact as to what is going on in the spiritual realm. It appears that the battles happening in the spiritual realm are somehow connected to when the reign of King Darius begins. I wonder if when a president of the world's, the current world's most powerful nation is elected, I wonder if there is a war going on in heaven. Reading this passage leads me to believe there is. It also leads me to believe that prayer has an impact on that world. So we're getting closer to this sermon about Satan. We would be in great shape if Satan didn't exist. Right? Our problem is sin. And sin has entered into the world because of a bad decision, but a bad decision based on the deception from a master deceiver. From one who masquerades as an angel of light. He is our enemy. He is the one who decided that he had enough power to take God's throne from him. He is the one who has found out that he does not have enough power. That he only has power because it is given to him. And he cannot take more power than he has. Well, let's get away from the theoretical. Uh, We know there's this incredible story going on. But that's in the clouds. Or is it? Let's get to the very practical, where the rubber meets the road. Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10, Paul writes a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. C.S. Lewis writes a whole book about Satan and demons. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, One of the ideas that Lewis presents to us, reminds us of, is that Satan's ultimate victory is to get us to a point where we don't believe he exists. To get us to a point where not only do we deny his power, but we deny that he even exists, that he's a real thing. I want to suggest to you that in the Western world, with our logic, our reason, our scientific process, that it's possible that Satan has gotten us to a place where we no longer recognize his existence. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Sure feels like we're fighting a physical battle, doesn't it? (laughs) Paul reminds us that there is a whole lot going on that we can't see. There is a whole lot of enemy behind the things, the dark things that we can see. There's a whole lot going on in the spiritual realm that we need to be aware of, that we need to be prepared for. Notice that he says, for we, we Human beings, we, the church, we, followers of Christ, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Right now, we are fighting a battle against evil forces in the heavenly realm. We're in battle right now. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Now, when you hear that we are in a battle against evil forces, very strong evil forces, you ought to be scared. Because evil is scary. That's why we call it evil. Because it is disturbing. It brings fear. It is horrible. And there are incredibly powerful forces of evil. There's this hierarchy in the universe. Human beings are somewhere down here between animals and 
angels somewhere in there. Uh, some people would want to elevate human beings above angels. And there's verses that talk about us ruling, making, you know, like ruling along with Christ and maybe like ruling over angels in some way. I'm not going to suggest that I know exactly how all that's going to work. But we're, we're somewhere in that hierarchy. And then there's like different levels of angels. And you kind of work your way up through the system. We have some, some ideas about different levels, cherubim and seraphim and so forth. And, but then you get up to what we understand to be three archangels. There's Gamaliel, who presented himself to Mary and brought news of the first advent, which we are about to celebrate. Uh, there is Michael, who is the general. He seems to have a significant military militant bent to his skill set. He's the weapons master in heaven, apparently. And then there's an archangel, was an archangel, whose design and purpose was to most glorify God. And so was the most glorious being in heaven other than God himself. And it is at that level a power that is ruling in darkness. That is the source of evil. That is behind all, of, all evil that occurs. We have a powerful enemy. If you've never been scared of Satan, his power and ability, then you've been missing something. And that's why it's really good news that God has given us armor. He has given us formidable armor. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, stand, you will still be standing firm. This armor I'm about to tell you about, this is good armor. This is formidable armor. This is armor with which to defeat the former angel of light, the former archangel. This is serious armor. This is armor with which we are equipped to defeat the enemy. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor, the breastplate of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. 
In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is good armor, folks. When when the enemy enters in to tell us a lie, we've got an answer for that. There is no level of deception that the enemy can bring against us that we cannot overcome with the truth provided by our king, the king of kings. There is, there is no enemy that we cannot go up against that does not fall by the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is formidable armor. If we don this armor, we are guaranteed to stand firm to the end, regardless of the intensity of the battle. Now, if you're the enemy, not only do you want us to deny his existence, you want us to deny our capability. You don't want us to have any understanding of how powerful God has made us, how limitless God has made us, and how much he wants to infinitely do through us. If you're our enemy, you don't want us to know about that. And you certainly don't want us to know about the weapons that we have been given to defeat the enemy. So you're going to do everything you can to keep Christians from putting on the armor of God. Because when we put it on, when we act righteously, when we bring peace, the enemy has to flee. The promise of God is that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. We have been given powerful armor. We have been called into a deadly battle. We have been called into an extraordinary effort against a strong enemy. But God has created us for battle. God has designed us for battle. He has made us people of faith with which we defeat the enemy. We win this battle. God has equipped us to win the battle. How do we fight this battle? by knowing the truth, by living for the truth, by acting in righteousness, by pursuing peace, by loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. The enemy cannot stand against that. By presenting the good news of Jesus Christ with our lives and with our words and with our motives, Satan must flee 
The gospel will go forward. And so Paul says, pray in the Spirit at all times. God's Spirit is in us. As we're obedient to Him, God's Spirit is in us. Do you think that we who are filled with limitless potential, that we who are precious to God, do you think that He will let us fail in battle? His promise is that He is with us. If we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Can you imagine why the Apostle Paul gave us these two things to latch on to? Be alert and be persistent? Anybody ever get lackadaisical about their faith? Anybody ever ignore, choose to ignore that there is a battle raging? Anybody ever get distracted? <laughs> you know, falling asleep while on guard duty has been a problem for the military for millennia. The Romans actually were famous for having a four-man guard rotation. You, just, you didn't stand guard at night by yourself. <laughs> you did it in groups of four. The first guy's responsibility was to be fully alert and on guard. The second guy's responsibility was to watch the first guy, make sure he was fully alert and on guard. The third guy's responsibility was to sleep very lightly, that he could wake up at any noise. I cannot figure out how to do that. In spite of my attempts, I sleep very peacefully because my wife has mastered that, and I don't need to pay attention. The fourth guy, he can sleep two hours. He gets two hours of deep sleep, worried about nothing. And every two hours, there's a switch. Everybody changes roles. And this is why the Roman army never gets attacked at night in their history, because they are on guard. Wouldn't it be amazing if God put into the design of his people a way of being on guard together? He did. It's called being a part of church, like really being a part of it. Which, by the way, you are all scoring very high on right now. So he says, be alert. Right? The enemy is secretive. The enemy works in the dark. So be alert. Know what is going on. And then he says, be persistent. <laughs> I am so not persistent in my prayers. I'm persistent in a lot of other things, like things I really want. Hmm. Maybe I struck a chord with a few of you. Things I really want, I just keep going after. Uh, 
one of my excuses not to be persistent in prayer is I'll say, God is like super sharp, super sharp. And so I should just be able to say this once and be done. God will record it somewhere in heaven. And when he gets to it, he'll get to it. And, you know, I'm praying according to his will, theoretically. And so really, why do I need to be praying at all? Because it's his will, and so... Anybody ever play, like, prayer mind games with yourself? To allow yourself to be lazy, to not be alert, and to not be persistent? Uh, I don't persist very well. Sometimes I think, God, why persistence? And I already know the answer, but I just ask anyways, because I'm frustrated with having to be persistent. Did you notice in the story where Daniel, Daniel, a prophet of God, is praying for 21 days to get a, an interpretation for a vision that God has sent him? I mean, think about this. Where would you rate yourself compared to Daniel, like in the prayer scale? <laughs> See what I'm saying? I'm way down there somewhere. I'm at the bottom of the scale. I'm sure, I mean, God supposedly, you know, we're all precious to him, but if I was God, Daniel would be a lot more precious, right? Daniel is praying for 21 days. He knows God has given him this vision for a reason, and he is praying for 21 days for the interpretation. He knows that his role is to be persistent in faith. Because he knows that God is forming his character. Because he knows that God is teaching him to want it desperately. So that Daniel can come to the place where he wants it in the way that God wants it. So that Daniel's heart will be formed after God's heart. And God is using the enemy who thinks he's doing efficient, effective battle against itself because Daniel's faith is only growing. <laughs> Daniel is only becoming more persistent in faith. Isn't it interesting that Daniel is the one who, in order to catch him doing something wrong, they have to make a law about prayer. Doesn't even phase him, doesn't think twice, continues praying because he has been persistent in faith, persistent in prayer before, and God has built his faith where he is unfazed. He is doing battle in the heavenly realms. He has his armor fully on. He is untouchable. The enemy cannot get to him. The enemy cannot cause him to fail. He has his armor on. He knows what weapons he has available to him. And he is using them. He is wielding them powerfully against the enemy. He is unafraid. 
because he has the arm, the armor provided by God placed upon him. Martin Luther, and this will be my second quote of a great saint in honor of All Saints Day. Martin Luther writes, If I fail to spend two hours of prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. When I read that, I think, well, that's the reason why there's Martin Luther, and then there's me. (laughs) He says, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Uh, I'm going to say this one more time, and I'm going to pray that it sticks. God has filled us with limitless potential. The story does not end when Jesus returns. Just so you know, it's going to be a good day. It's not the end of time. It's the end of this age. There are other ages to come. There is a massive story at play. We are filled with limitless potential. There's a strong enemy against us. An enemy who has rebelled in heaven and has caused chaos in this world. God has allowed that chaos to advance because he will show himself as the redeemer, as the all-powerful one. Satan will serve as an example to the rest of the beings in heaven, to all of humanity, to all of reality. As to what happens when you attempt to usurp the authority of God Almighty. God desires faith from us, and so he has equipped us with faith as an implement of war to wage battle and to win. And so I ask you to be aware, to be alert, and to be persistent in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us be aware. If the enemy is attacking in some way that we are not aware, help us be aware. Wake us up. We pray more than that, that we would be aware of our significance in the universe that you have given us and the battle before us and the weapons that we have. Help us, Lord, to step into that armor. Father, we know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto you, and you have given us a command and all the necessary authority. Fulfill that command to go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. From Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all 
that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll see you this afternoon. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.